Chris asked me to say a bit about stewardship this morning, so you might think of this as the Sermon on the Amount. <laughs> I'd like to say a little about the church and transcendence, then about community in the church, and finally the church as custodian of moral insights. First, transcendence. Sally and I timed our June trip to Africa to stop at England's Canterbury Cathedral along the way. Canterbury is, of course, the seat of the worldwide Anglican communion of which we are a part and of its presiding figure, the Archbishop. At the cathedral, we met 13 old friends going back 50 years. We were all there to remember our classmate murdered in Hainville, Alabama, while doing civil rights work so long ago. Some of you know that in the last second of his life, he pushed a 16-year-old African-American girl out from in front of a shotgun which fired, killing him instantly. Jonathan became a so-called modern martyr of the church, and his name was inscribed in the Canterbury Cathedral Book of Modern Martyrs. At the cathedral, we all, and some of us with our wives, sat together during a beautiful evensong service Near the end of that, we were led to a chapel where Jonathan is honored. The choir concluded the service there by singing the so-called Negro spiritual that had promised freedom eventually and eternity to enslaved women, men, and children long ago. Deep River. My home is over Jordan. This moment was almost otherworldly to us, and I suspect I was not the only one who thought at that time of all my friends and all the experiences combined of us who had tried to serve the Christ for so many years and his church and the people. I remembered as well the words of the great man Eric Erickson, a member of the church in Belvedere when I was there, who said the church's most important and distinctive purpose is to be a beacon of transcendence, of love, for instance, that never lets us go of a new future that opens up when we might least expect it, and of eternity. Surely others here may have caught a glimpse or a feeling one day of something transcendent, seemingly from a different order of reality altogether. The church is here to suggest 
that behind the sense of it is very much an ultimate reality. Secondly, a caring community. When I was a young priest on a church staff elsewhere, I received a phone call from a woman in the parish. She said that her son, Christopher, 19 years old, had been in a car at an intersection waiting for a red light to change when a drunk driver had sped through the intersection and hit his car head on. Her son was comatose at the local hospital. The parents had been told that any improvement in his condition was unlikely. I went to the hospital and met her and the boy's father. I asked to see Christopher and was led into a separate room. He was lying on a table, naked except for a towel across his middle. I said some prayers. The door to the room opened and his father entered. Silently, he looked at his son for a long time, then softly said, have a good trip, son, and left the room. At Christopher's memorial service, members of the congregation told of their love for him, for his two sisters, his younger brother, and for his parents. They wanted to do anything they could to help the family. Several days later, the church's senior warden, a wise and compassionate person, an attorney, came to the family's house. Kindly, he explained why it would not be best to file a lawsuit, such a thing would provoke and magnify and prolong their suffering. And of course, it would not bring Christopher back. The parents accepted this advice. The entire event deeply brought home to me that in the best sense, the church is a beloved community. Finally, morality. The church is a custodian of certain moral values, some of which may be distinctively countercultural, in which respect for self and, in principle, respect for all is at the center, humankind as a whole having been sanctified by the deity who became flesh and dwelt among us. There are so many who not only believe, but base their lives in the right, the good, the true, the beautiful, as announced by the man for others, as the Protestant reformer Martin Luther referred to Jesus. 
In rural North Carolina a long time ago, one member of a little parish that I served was the last known clan organizer in that county. And another member was an African-American woman, a labor organizer in a local chicken packing plant. I would see both of them at the same altar rail every Sunday morning. Each believed that in accordance with the church's moral teachings, they were one in the Lord. There is a wonderful Methodist pastor in Los Angeles named James Lawson, an African-American man, by the way, who taught Martin Luther King Jr. about peaceful civil disobedience. Martin Luther King Jr. himself was another whose very life was committed to Christian morality. From deep within the Birmingham jail, he wrote an eloquent and powerful letter to church leaders, including two Episcopal bishops who had admonished him to go more slowly. King wrote that the convenience of oppressors should be allowed no more time to break the backs of the oppressed like a biblical prophet and the righteous son of man, King said, the time is always right to do right. Still another claimed by a moral force from beyond this world is Alice Callahan, an Episcopal church priest who founded a storefront ministry called Las Familias del Pueblo on LA's Skid Row. For years, she has ministered among refugee women and children, mostly fleeing, frightening, and dehumanizing violence in Central America. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the brilliant German theologian risked his life and then finally gave it in active resistance to Adolf Hitler because of his grotesque, hate-based destruction of European Jews. Barbara Harris, an African-American woman who became the first woman bishop in the Anglican Communion, stood up to the many who doubted the equality of women in leadership, as bishops in particular. Jean Robinson, the first so-called openly gay bishop in the Episcopal Church, patiently bore with and tried to enlarge the vision and the souls of the many homophobes the pressures they brought upon him nearly wrecked his life. All these, and so many more, based their lives on a moral claim that they could not ignore. 
that came to them from heaven itself, that insisted against all contrary messages from bigoted society that all people possess inalienable rights and the essential dignity that warrants these. Need I say that heaven's insistence upon the moral qualities of justice and peace is mediated to us by the church. Let me summarize all this. The church is a fallible entity, witnessing even so to the transcendent in a society where absence of the same leaves too much room for selfishness, meaninglessness, (coughs) ugliness. The church is also a guardian of community, of the things that hold us together against all that would pull us apart and even set us against one another. The church is a custodian of a moral foundation for humanity that offers hope to a world that too frequently seems to have lost its way. Each of you could tell stories illustrating these characteristics of the church. And I hope that all of us will take to heart what the church stands for. And then as generous people, make a financial commitment to it, commensurate with its meaning, its value to us and to those we especially love.